Mount Dragon by Vera Nazarian The man stopped at the base of my lower extremities. Like a puppet, he lowered himself in the crevice between my index stone claw and the slab of granite, the weight of which held me down to the earth. He put his microscopic upper appendages forward upon my polished gleaming surface and willed with all his tiny being for me to attend to him. I decided to humor both of us. I answered directly into his mind. Go to hell, idiot, I said, using an astringent tongue he'd understand. I am but a monumental slab of granite, and you, mortality, are like one of the droppings of a fairly large corpulent deity, an ephemeral honor I would rather pass me by. And yet you speak to me, Mountain, said the moat of humanity. Why is that? I considered that for a moment. The creature had a point. I don't know, I replied honestly. But I do. He stood, waiting for me to respond to his taunt, but I was suddenly weary of this whole exchange, and weary of him. And so I ignored him, and eventually he went away, seething with impotence at my lack of curiosity. But the next day he was back. Because he said, speaking as though our conversation was never interrupted by a sun's journey across the vault of heaven, the moon's slither, and a spillage of a million stars upon the layers of night. Whereas I am but a single droplet, you are a mountain of divine droppings. So what you're saying, I countered, is that we're all droppings of the gods? Divine excrement? Fecal material? Yes, shit, he said. Thus, we are fundamentally of a kind, and being similar, it's in our nature to communicate with each other. Really? Interesting. Quite philosophical, even. I thought I was merely a mountain. Not just a mountain, but Mount Dragon. Only because someone had hewn the base of granite into a legendary form, and extrapolated the rest by a wild stretch of mortal imagination. After all, there are only the claws. A lot can be inferred from claws, said the man. Ah, a claw reader, I said. For example, he continued, nonplussed, I know that your true igneous draconis form is imprisoned underneath the weight of stones, that you are locked into the mountain itself by strength of an arcane enchantment. Is that so? But the man stared up at me, and I could tell that his lips had come together in a confident smile. You pretend ignorance, he said, and yet that is but a part of your supernatural bonds. I had come across the utmost secret of your being through years of my occult studies, through sleepless nights of gazing at the heavens and transforming the nature of that most base of human metals in the furnace of flames. I alone have the key to your freedom. Freedom, I said. No need. I am quite comfortable as I am. Besides, what exactly have you seen in the heavens? And yet, as I said it, I knew that this was not quite the truth of it. I sensed some kind of quickening, a beginning circulation of energy, and awakening of circuits in the very matter around me. Could it be that this bit of mortality really knew? 
but the man threw up his hands suddenly in a dramatic gesture and pointed them at me. He leaned back his head, closed his eyes, and began to spout gibberish. Misha Quota! he cried. Misha Quota acts owl nine! And your point is, I responded in mild amusement. But suddenly, and to my utmost surprise, the beginning of a very remote buzz of slow vibration gathered in the core of the mountain that was myself, a low subsonic rumble. And for a moment I actually believed in this man's magic. For several minutes he continued to cry out the meaningless words, and to wave his hands about, and there was an expression of sublime ecstatic effort on his face. Meanwhile, the seismic rumble in the earth, the mountain, echoed and resonated to his words. Finally he gave up. He sat down on the earth right between one of my claws, and he put his head in his hands in despondency. "'I am powerless,' he whispered. "'Even all my learning does me nothing, for something very elusive still escapes me. "'The intricate words dance and twist in my lips, "'and the gathering power urges me to break free, and yet—' "'And yet nothing seems to happen,' I finished. "'Exactly!' "'I almost felt sorry for him. "'And, indeed, I suddenly wished he really did have the so-called magic force "'necessary to do whatever it is that he almost began to do to me, "'that invigorated me so, and made the very land shudder. "'Something occurred to me, then. "'Why don't you try catching those twisting words "'and pinning them down in a different manner?' I said. "'It seems that your key may be their very elusive dance.' He jumped up with an explosion of joy. Yes, he cried. That is the truth of it, Draconis. I am only a mountain. But he ignored my last statement and began once again crying out his meaningless syllables, waving his hands about in gestures of what I thought was pathos. Only this time he varied the sound slightly, and I felt the resumption of the sympathetic rumble in the landscape around us. Misha Quota! Misha Kanta! Mishan Contra! XAL9! And suddenly, something terribly right happened. I understood his meaningless words. Understood and remembered. Mission Control XL9. The launch code. It all came together in one perfect sequence. Because as I remembered the prompt... I simultaneously initialized the execution of the command sequence and remembered all the rest of it, and my internal systems came online, starting a cascading reaction of modular interlock and reinitialization. The rumble of discord climbed into pure on-pitch ultrasound, and before the man could even put his hands to his weak organic auditory organs, the sound disappeared beyond his hearing range into acute silence. And then around me, the mountain began to fall apart. Fly, Draconis! The homo sapiens exclaimed in exultation. I set you free! And as my tri-engine thrusters came into play, Warning! My autocom systems thundered at his auditory decibel level. Move away within safety of 300 meters for launch! And a tiny auto subsystem within me the same one that had been online all these countless centuries, signaled to the main processor that this primitive will not understand the standard warning directive. 
Run far away, I cried, switching to the same voice that he had gotten used to hearing in his head. Run for a league and don't look back, for I will uproot the mountain now, and I will have no harm befall you, my friend who has liberated me. And as his fleeting tiny figure began to dart rapidly away, I extended my landing gripper pads, reflective metallic claws that shone brightly beneath the radiation of this alien sun, and retracted the landing gear, while at the same time extending the angular hover wings that would act like atmospheric rotors to clear the immediate area around my bulk in the seconds of pre-launch. Finally, I folded the wings and extended myself into an aerodynamic entity of monochrome silver, recessed the bulkhead with its twin eyelet beams, while all around me the granite layers folded and buckled. And then I signaled the initialization of main thrust. The mountain fell away, and I was airborne, a silver, abstract dragon shape with a tail of white flame, piercing the lower atmosphere, rising like a reversed meteor into eternity. Somewhere out there was home. Escape Pod, the science fiction podcast magazine. Find us online at escapepod.org.